1 Corinthians chapter 5. We will finish chapter 5 this morning as uh, we continue to walk through uh, Paul's We call it his first epistle to the Corinthians, but today we'll learn that it's uh, not so first. (laughs) Let's pray together. We'll jump into this uh, passage of Scripture. Lord, I want to thank you for everything you do. I want to thank you for giving us your word. I want to thank you for your for your grace. And God, as we come to your word, we pray that you help us to understand your grace even more. Especially as we're considering the topic, uh, again, of church discipline and excommunication, according to the Apostle here, topics that are not easy to discuss in any culture, let alone our, our current culture and our current society. As we consider the reality of accountability within the body of believers and our covenant commitment to one another. God, help us to wrestle with these things. In fact, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come wrestle us and to win. We want you to win. Conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Conform our church more and more to your design for the local church. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds that understand what you have to say. And through the proclamation of your word, as we sit at your feet, we ask that you transform us. Bring us again to repentance increase our measures of faith. God, we love you and thank you for your promise to to bring us to completion. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Paul has been addressing a particularly difficult topic, uh, the topic of excommunication. If you remember uh, from last week, he He is getting at the sin of porneia, that is sexual immorality within the congregation. This particular instance of sexual immorality, a man having his father's wife, is public in the congregation. And the congregation in Corinth is trying to justify this man's sexual immorality by not addressing it. And and Paul has already said, look... You're showing that you don't love this man by not addressing his sin, his porneia. He is living in this sin. Uh, If you really cared about him, you would have mourned over his sin and excommunicated him. He exhorted the church, rather admonished the church, uh, to be 
unleavened. Uh, unleavened from sin, unleavened by the burden of the religious expectations of the day, unleavened in both senses, and to be unleavened because Christ took the affliction upon himself. Uh, Jesus Christ uh, is their Passover. Jesus Christ died a substitutionary atonement for all sin and therefore liberates people from the consequence of sin and from the power of sin in their lives such that a person can actually master his or her sin. And today we continue in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 9 through 13. I will read this selection as a whole and then we will walk through verse by verse as is our custom here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9. I, this is Paul, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges." Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Here, talking about the same man who is caught up in his sin, who is living in pornea, a sexual immorality which covers a variety of different types of sin, as we talked about last week. Verse 9, we'll begin walking through this passage. I wrote to you in my letter. Well, what letter is Paul talking about here? Uh, He's referring to a letter he wrote previously to the church in Corinth. Now, I'm not sure what we call this previous letter that Paul wrote the church at Corinth, because we call the letter we're currently reading 1 Corinthians, all right? We call this Paul's first epistle to the church at Corinth. But here we learn in verse 9 that Paul wrote a previous letter, a previous letter in which he addressed the sin of pornea as well. And here he's making some clarification. So I don't know if we call this previous letter like half Corinthians, (laughs) zeroth Corinthians, (laughs) the introduction to the epistles to the Corinthians. That's just too long. I don't know what we call it. Just know Paul wrote a previous letter in which he addressed this pornea sin, this man living in pornea, sexual immorality. I wrote in my letter. Not to associate with immoral people. There the word immoral being this pornea, the sexual immorality. Not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now this word associate, I think I can pronounce this in Greek. You guys want to watch me squirm a little bit this morning? Is that fine? 
Sunanimagnestai. <laughs> Something to that effect. All right, yeah, we're, we're close enough. Okay, so not important to know the pronunciation, just important to know that this word is a word that refers to identifying with a group, to take on the name of a group, to associate with somebody, to be in the company of, to have the same name as. Now, the local church in Corinth, they associate in two ways. Their first association is by taking on the name Christian, followers of Christ, association with the universal church. Their second association, the association to which Paul writes this first, second letter to the church at Corinth, uh, is the church at Corinth. It is a local church body, a local church association, which is composed of members. Uh, It comprises members of that congregation who are considered to be in association with, who bear the name the church at Corinth, the local church at Corinth. And we experience the same thing. Uh, We are identified as Christians, part of the universal Church, but then also we are identified as the church at Sunsides, those who are members, covenanted members in our community of faith. Anyway, to be associated as a local body of Christ means this type of identification. That's what the word associate means. It is equivalent to church membership, not on a legal level, right? There's a legal way people can perceive church membership, which is we have to do this in accordance with 501c3 status in order to give members the legal authority to vote in in our democratic type church government, which is fairly new in the world, hasn't always been that way, right? But that's how we kind of think of church membership in our modern day. But Paul, he's getting at something quite different. This is an association of sorts. And the first part of this association we can we can say is fellowship. Right? Fellowship with the body, a covenanted fellowship with the body of Christ, with the local body of Christ. Uh, this serves a very particular purpose. You look uh, ahead to Hebrews or back to Hebrews, depending on when Hebrews was written, right? Uh, you look to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, and, and the preacher, whoever preached that sermon to the Hebrews, or whichever team developed that sermon to the Hebrews, they said, Do not neglect the gathering together of yourselves is fellowship, right? That's this kind of association. Do not neglect the gathering together of yourselves. For what purpose? Well, to spur one another on toward love and good deeds for the purpose of sanctification. This is the purpose of Christian fellowship. If all we are doing is being good Baptists and getting together and having a lunch, that is not the purpose of the local church. That is great. (laughs) Not the purpose of the local church. This is a different kind of association, a different kind of membership. Second, we can look back to verses 7 and 8 in this chapter, and we see that part of this association is the observance, regular observance from week to week, the observance of the Passover meal. Communion, right? So this communion has something to do with membership in the local church as defined by the Word of God, as defined by Scripture, as defined here in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And so uh, here we see two marks of a genuine local church. One mark is fellowship for the purpose of mutual upbuilding. 
sanctification. And the second is the regular observance of the Lord's meal, communion, the weekly Passover, um, in order to testify to what Christ has done in all of our lives individually and to us as a group, right? And this Passover meal is to be observed in the, the local church gathering by the group who identifies and covenants together, which means the most pure form of observing communion takes place within the context of the local church. I, I often hear people say, yeah, I observe communion all the time, and it's in, in a home privately with family, or they're together with friends, and they say, hey, let's have communion. Those practices might be valuable. I don't want to degrade how valuable those practices might be. But I do want to recognize in Scripture the way that communion is defined, the way this weekly observance of the, the Passover meal and the meaning of the meal is, is taught is within the context of the local church body, the local church congregation, by people who have covenanted together, by those who have associated together and, and come into church membership together. And not everyone who attends the local church is a member but those who are members, those are the ones who have covenanted together and receive communion together and have communion together while they have communion with Christ. And we will see more about that as we move through the text. Paul says, I wrote you in my previous letter not to associate with the sexually immoral. So this is an issue that Paul has already addressed to this particular local body of believers. This a particular uh, covenanted group of, of members, this particular association of Christians, right? Paul has already addressed this in the church. Uh, they didn't address it when he, when he wrote his previous letter. And it seems to be that they wrote him a letter responded responding to his previous letter that was very negative and that's why he's having to write first corinthians here and he's clarifying his position on this i wrote you not to associate with them not to have them in your fellowship not to observe communion with them those who are living in porneia those who are living in sexual sin that is the indication here verse 10 but I did not at all. Here's where he starts to make clarification. Like this part w probably wasn't in his previous letter. I don't know. We don't have his previous letter. If we ever did find it, I wonder if we would include it in Scripture. But I believe such in the providence of God that I would say, no, the canon's closed. If we found it, we probably wouldn't include it. This probably was not in his previous letter. Maybe. Probably. Okay. But it is in this letter. And this letter is in Scripture already. I did not at all mean with the immoral, porneia, sexually immoral, people of this world. What? Or with the covetous and swindlers. Or with idolaters. For then you would have to go out of the world. How did Jesus exemplify the Christian life when he was on this earth? He did not separate himself out from sinners, did he? Um, he's, he was with sinners. He was in those places, sinners 
were. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, and in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, uh, you read that Jesus, people actually called Jesus a glutton and a drunkard, not only because of the company he kept, but because he came eating and drinking. Like, that's how the Bible describes Jesus. Jesus was with sinners, relating to sinners, and these are people that were not part of the kingdom of heaven at that time. Now we see in Matthew's case, like when when Jesus befriends and calls a tax collector, he brings people out of their sin. Jesus never sinned in what he did and in his association with sinners, but we see these people, whomever they are, Jesus is he's, he's hanging out with them. They're not part of his church yet. He is associating with them in some way, which isn't quite the same sort of association that we see in the local church and, and in the membership of a local church and the covenanting together of the local church. But he is associating with sinners. And then it, when it comes to those r- religious people we call the Pharisees, right, who claim to be the people of God and who claim to be righteous, who are so-called brothers, and they sin, what did Jesus do? Instead of making them his company, the company he kept, he rebuked them and he called out their false religiosity. So we even see Jesus operating the way Paul instructs us to operate here. Uh, If a so-called brother, this is verse 11, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person, porneia, sexually immoral person. Or, and Paul adds other ways to live here that are sinful or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, someone who is interested in sordid gain, someone who is interested merely in in building up their own reputation, someone who is interested merely in getting their own way. All of that fits in here, right? Not to associate with a so-called brother, someone who claims to be in Christ, someone who claims to be Righteous, someone who claims to have eternal life, but they don't bear the fruit of repentance and don't bear the fruit of the Spirit. Um, instead, they are they are easily aggravated, pugnacious, and instead, this person is interested only in getting what they can get or being perceived in the best light. And Paul says, don't even eat with such a one as this who refers to himself as a Christian, who claims to have the Holy Spirit but doesn't bear that kind of of fruit. Um, In many churches today, we hear quite the opposite of what Paul is teaching here, don't we? Uh, don't you dare keep that company. If you hang out with those types of people, they will corrupt you. And that's what I seem to hear. Um, Paul is teaching... If we have the Holy Spirit, it's not going to be so easy for us to really be corrupted, is it? Uh, I believe more strongly in the power of the Holy Spirit than that. But... But if the church allows someone who is a Christian 
to live in sin within the context of the body of believers. And here Paul lists several from sexual immorality to to covetousness to simply swindling. Uh, twisting someone's words in order to present themselves in a, in a better light, right? Something that simple, like Paul says, have nothing to do with them. Don't even eat with such a person because they have claimed to be a Christian, yet they are living in a way that is not consistent with the movement of the Spirit in their life, with regeneration in their, their lives. Don't have anything to do with this person and not even to eat with such a one. There is a, it applies to the fellowship part of church members. Right, And it also applies to communion. Like if there is a Christian living in your midst, they are not to observe communion with you if they are living in sin and if they are interested in sordid gain. They are not to have communion. So there are certain individuals the church is to bar from having communion and is to bar from church fellowship as a member, as being called by the same name as that particular local church. But when it comes to those in the world who are living in sin, don't judge them. A judgment is something that belongs only to the church. It is a treasure that belongs only to the church, as we discovered last week. Accountability is something that belongs to the church body. Why? Because when God saves us, regenerates us, He desires to complete the good work He started in us. In fact, He will complete the good work He started in us. Right? This is First uh, Corinthians chapter one, verse ten, the, the key verse of First Corinthians, and His design to accomplish that is the local church body. And membership within the local church body, covenantal membership within the local church body. So when we relate to those outside of the church, we are not to be separatists. There are many traditions who teach that teach separatism, right? Don't go there, don't go to those places, don't be around those types of people because you'll be corrupted. And here, Paul plainly says, like, you do not want to go out of the world. You want to be in the world because you are a testimony to Jesus Christ. And while you are in the world, this is where evangelism comes in, you don't judge the world because you can't expect sinners to live like righteous people. You can't expect that if somebody doesn't have the Holy Spirit, they're going to be sanctified like someone who has the Holy Spirit. Someone who is not regenerated will not bear the fruit of the Spirit. You can't expect that. So... Don't judge them. God will. And God's judgment will be much more severe than ours could possibly be anyway. Right? So instead, we we go into the world. We live with sinners like Christ exemplified in His bodily life here on the earth. And when it comes to the church, those who claim to have the Spirit, now we're going to work toward one another's sanctification in Christ because we have been regenerate. And to those who continuously live in sin, do not bear the fruit of the Spirit. Paul is getting at excommunication here. And remember, excommunication is for the person's good, that they might know, oh, maybe I'm not really in Christ because the church the church is now told me through excommunication that they don't believe I'm in Christ because I'm not, I'm not bearing the fruit of repentance, not bearing the fruit of the, 
of the Spirit. So this is an act of love toward the individual. Like, if you're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, if you're not actually in Christ, we want you to know because perhaps Christ will grant repentance unto salvation and you can be restored in the body. And it's also good for the church because the person who is interested in sordid gain, the person who is living in sin, this person is is going to stir up the congregation, cause controversy where, where controversy doesn't need to be caused. This person is going to bear false witness against this person's neighbor. This person is going to cause division in the body and in one way or another the Holy Spirit within the congregation will be quenched. And so this, when Paul is getting at excommunication here, he's not getting at just totally abandoning a person. He's getting at removing someone from membership role, barring someone from communion, such that you can't say, I'm a member of the church at Corinth, and I have communion at the church of Corinth, because those things are, they are a testimony to the fact that Christ is our Passover, and that Christ really has claimed victory over the consequences and power of sin on our behalf, and that He really is giving us power over our sin, causing us to master our sin. Verse 12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? There's a sense in which when we come to Christ, um, our focus is higher our attention is turned towards something grander than just making the world fit our particular mold, right? Um, there is a, a sense in which when we come to Christ, we come to the realization, oh, I actually have nothing to do with that now because I am a member of a higher kingdom, and the local churches are members of a higher kingdom, and the members of the local churches are are part of a higher kingdom than are the kingdoms of this world. And this kingdom that belongs to Christ, it actually it actually is over the kingdoms of the world. Not just higher, but actually over the kingdoms of the world because Christ is, is really king. And there's something that brings such a peace of mind to me, like just considering this, there's something that brings such a peace of mind to me when Paul writes something like this, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Uh, it means I can see everything in the world, and granted, there are plenty of things in the world that dishonor God, okay? But I can look at everything happening in the world, and when people mis- mistreat me, right? And when people mistreat the church, when people oppress the church, or when people oppress me for any other reason, right? Or, or bear false witness against me. This means I don't have to, I don't actually have to experience angst, and I don't actually have to complain about that, because my rest is in Christ. There are many people who profess to be Christians, who are so up, uptight about everything. 
and you hear it from the pulpit and you hear it when Christians are in dialogue and you see it from people who profess to be Christians on on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and and TikTok and Snapchat and quick, name any other social media app you can think of, right? But you, you see it from people who profess to be Christians um, complaining about everything, having a constant sense of angst about everything they see in the world. What have we to do with judging outsiders is the question that comes up. And the reason is not like, no, you don't need to speak to injustice in the world. No, there's, a, there's probably a way to speak about that without angst and, and complaininess, right? But what are you doing experiencing so much angst about that? God's got this. Yeah? Christ is really king. And if we believe He is working all things together, there's no reason for us to be so tense about everything and to scream so the world hears and to, and to scream at other people and, and yell at other people. There's no excuse for the Christian to act like that because we are in Christ who is our Passover who has delivered us from the consequences of sin and is delivering us from the power of sin and will deliver us from the presence of sin all together through sanctification which happens in the context of the local church according to Paul what have I to do with judging outsiders do you not judge those who are within the church which is given to the church, proper judgment. But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. They're referring to this man, this particular person, who is living in porneia, living in sexual immorality. But then also, not only the sexually immoral people, but those within the congregation who are covetous and swindlers and idolaters. And Paul says, remove this person from your midst. Um, It's interesting to me that Paul doesn't teach here, gain as many people to come sit in your congregation as humanly possible. Um, that's, That's never the focus of the Bible. Instead, the focus of the Bible is, if you have someone living in sexual immorality, church discipline is the answer. Living in it doesn't mean committing the sin one time and then repenting and you know coming. It means living in this sin, sexual immorality, porneia, excommunication, church discipline leading to excommunication, or the covetous person. If you have somebody who is always envious within the church because somebody else has something. That person doesn't have a position or recognition or a material thing or a, or a spouse. <laughs> okay. If this person is living in covetousness, church discipline leading to excommunication. Swindlers, those who are interested in sordid gain, those who twist the words of others in order to gain for themselves, in order to present themselves in a better light, those who present false testimony about others or what others have said. Swindlers, 
church discipline leading to excommunication. Or idolaters, those who worship gods other than Christ. Right? Including time, money. Like we talked about on Wednesday, chores, work, worshiping those things more than Christ's church discipline leading to excommunication. This... Again, Paul is swinging a hammer here. Right. And it hurts, I'm sure. He says, Remove that wicked man from among yourselves. And here he's alluding back to the Deuteronomic law. Tell me again how we're supposed to unhitch from the Old Testament when Paul alludes to it in order to defend his own position. And there in the Deuteronomic law, for the nation of Israel, in order for the nation of Israel to remain pure, God told them, purge the evil from among you. The evil one from among you on on several occasions. I'm going to list five of those occasions here. But because Paul is alluding back to the Deuteronomic law, that means the law... Torah, in some way the principles of the law, if not explicitly, like we're not taking people out and stoning them, right? That's not what Paul's telling us to do here. But the principles of the law carry over to the New Testament church, like this is binding still for the local church, and that's one reason local church membership becomes important too, because we're saying, yes, I submit myself to the authority of the Bible and to the accountability of my brothers and sisters and to church discipline if necessary for my good. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 5. The author writes in the law that false prophets are to be purged from the covenant community. In 13.5, it's by way of death. (laughs) And how do you know if a prophet is a false prophet? Well, if he prophesies something, he says, hear the word of the Lord, and he prophesies it, and it never happens, take him out and kill him. I once heard a preacher say, we should treat false prophets today the same way. (laughs) I'm not sure the New Testament gets at that. (laughs) But definitely remove them from your midst. Okay? Have nothing to do with them. Don't even eat with such a person. Two, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 7. Idolaters, which Paul mentions explicitly here, those who worship a God other than Yahweh. Those who trust in any saving power other than Yahweh's saving power. Through His Messiah, Jesus Christ. Who, guess what? Is Yahweh. Okay? Idolaters. Number three. Those who do not listen to the teaching of Scripture through the priests. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 12. And so if someone isn't committed to actually hearing the word preached during the the time that we have set aside to hear the word preached, if someone's not committed to this, that person is to experience church discipline leading up to, without repentance, excommunication. According to Paul, alluding back to Deuteronomy, number four, those who disrespect their parents. 
<laughs> yes. I'm not sure this is talking about someone who's under age and unable to... Okay, I'm not... <laughs> but maybe the person who has come of age who disrespects parents, fails to honor the mother and father still in their adulthood. Like this person is to undergo church discipline and eventually excommunication. This is why it's important for families, families to covenant with the church together because something about being part of the covenant community can actually help mediate within families right according to the authority of the, the word of God and the authority that God himself um, gives to his church body to deal with with quarrels and problems between people so that those people don't have to take that to the worldly court systems which it's what Paul gets at in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. So he's definitely talking about this, right? Alluding back to Deuteronomy. And number five, those who commit porneia. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 21. Sexual immorality of all kinds. Uh, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. And again, I just have to make the clarification because I, I always want to be reminding us of this, like this church discipline, excommunication, it works for the person's good. Like you're not bearing the fruit of salvation. You're not in Christ. We recognize that. Therefore, you can't be a covenant and member of this local church body and you can't observe communion with us. Right? And it also works for the good of the local church, keeping the local church from unnecessary division caused by those who would get tense and experience angst because they don't really have their trust in Christ and stir up problems because they're interested in sordid gain, interested in looking good, right? Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. This is a weird place to end a passage. Not very encouraging. I don't like ending on a note that's not encouraging. So let me follow this up with some encouragement for you. And this encouragement is going to be about church membership and what church membership means and the benefits of church membership. So Paul is talking about church membership here. That's what he means by the word association. Uh, church membership wasn't a term that he would have used, but association is. Uh, we use church membership to refer to the office of the church member, local church membership. If we believe that the gospel is effective, that the gospel goes out, it accomplishes exactly what God means for it to accomplish, then we believe that Christ is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the regeneration of the heart, by new birth, is really freeing us, liberating us from the consequences and power of our sin. A local church membership is a testimony to that power. The local church membership affects sanctification prior to the resurrection. So in the resurrection, we'll all be perfect, we'll be completed, we'll be fully sanctified. A local church membership is a way that happens. 
And God has given the Lord's Supper, the communion meal, the weekly observance of Passover and church discipline to the church in order to affect sanctification within the body of believers. Now, this is beautiful. The two marks of the local church association membership are one being named with the local church, which gets at identification. Right? And the whole word association means identification with. So anybody who says, you know, church membership really isn't that important. I understand the sentiment. And the sentiment there is, everyone who is in Christ is a Christian. And you don't have to be part of the local church to be saved. I appreciate that sentiment. I agree wholeheartedly with that with that sentiment we don't have to become a part a member of a local church in order to be saved but if our hearts are regenerate and we desire the word of god and we desire to be covenanted with the body of christ the church he is building for himself and christ does lead us to become members of a local church so this gets at identification and It is a testimony of regeneration, the regeneration that took place in our hearts. If I am unregenerate, if I am not really in Christ, I will find excuses not to be with the body of Christ because I prioritize other things, right? So this is a testimony to our regeneration, the fact that the Holy Spirit is really convicting us to to be part of a community of faith in which we will be brought to completion. If I neglect the gathering together of believers, coming up with any number of excuses, which is easy for us to do, right? If I neglect that, I am neglecting the sanctifying work of Christ through the local church. I am neglecting the work of Christ, which is meant to, to build build me up and which is meant to enable me to build up others because we are regenerate believers together. So this gives an identification and regeneration. First uh, John chapter 2 verse 19 and chapter 5 verse 13. First John is giving tests for people to know that they have eternal life. For people to know that they are really in Christ and haven't experienced some kind of false conversion. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, one of those tests that John gives is, are you part of a local church? Are you committed to a local church? Are you covenanted with a local church? If not, if you have gone out from the local church and you are living in sin by neglecting the gathering together of believers... You went out from us because you were not of us. Those are John's words. Like that. People don't teach that today. The church has neglected teaching that for so, so, so long. And now people think lone wolf Christianity is just fine. And it actually means you're not in Christ, according to the Bible. Not because you have to be part of a church in order to be saved. But because if you are saved, if you are in Christ, Christ brings you in. And some of you know, like, you're in Christ, and you stayed away from the body so long, and what does Christ do? (laughs) He ropes you right back in, eventually, in His good timing, doesn't He? He doesn't let you stay away if you're really in Him. I tried that once. (laughs) Once. (laughs) Right? 
This is how we know we are regenerate people being named with a local congregation, right? Associating with being a member of, a biblical member, not a member according to some legal code in the United States. Second, this is an assembly, an association, a membership of Eucharist communion, not just with the body, but with Jesus Christ. And the Eucharist communion, the, the weekly Passover meal, it is a testimony to the fact that we have covenanted with the body, that if we are not barred from communion, we are in good standing. That's what it means to be a member in good standing, according to modern language, right? This is covenantal. It works for our sanctification, and it builds our fellowship. And we can read about this in... Can I refer to extra biblical material this morning? (laughs) In the Didache, chapter 7. Albert likes this already. (laughs) The Didache is a document probably written in the 60s by the apostles. We can't prove that, but it's most likely the case. And it's a summary of New Testament teaching about the operation of the local church. So it goes right here with, with 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 7, they're getting at baptism. And, and here's what they say regarding baptism. Somebody comes to be a part of your church, wants to be baptized, and wants to become a member of your local church. Do not pursue that too hastily. Take your time. Wait till you see fruit. Ah. Interesting. Which gets at the purpose of the meal and the purpose of baptism and the purpose of church membership. Church membership is to be regenerate church membership, which means church membership is only for those who are really in Christ. And the communion table is for those who are really in Christ. And I think Paul in this text is actually being way more strict about communion than I have been in the past, right? And than we are as a local church even. What Paul is describing here is is what we call closed communion. That's what Paul is describing. Like if you're not a, a member of the church, bona fide member of the church, you can't have communion. That's what Paul is getting at here. Why? Because the church can't testify that you are really in Christ. Like that is the church's job to, to say, yes, we believe you're in Christ. That's why we'll include you in membership and why we will share communion, the Lord's table with you in the presence of Christ. That's closed communion. Now here we currently practice what is called close communion, which means if you profess to be a believer, we let you have the meal, even if you're not a member of the church, right? Meaning there's no accountability there. And in studying, I was talking with uh, with my wife this <laughs> this last week. Actually, it was yesterday, wasn't it? When I was like, babe, I really don't know how I'm going to present that because the text goes there. <laughs> I was like, Paul's getting a closed communion. And she said, and this is... Men, if you have a godly wife, embrace her because she can speak wisdom into your life, right? She said, wouldn't that be like a, like a modified close to communion? Like if they are a member of a local church, an active member of a local church in good standing, maybe we should allow communion at that point, right? And yeah, I could see that in the text too. Right. Eventually, you're just you're going to have to trust people anyway. Right. But I want to make it very clear, like the Lord's table is not for non-Christians, people who aren't in Christ. 
The, the Lord's table, weekly Passover, is not for a Christian who has fallen into sin and unrepentant. The, the Lord's Supper is for those who are in Christ and, and really do have power over their sin. Now, our requirement here is simply that you profess to be a believer at this point, right? But please measure your own hearts. If you are living in sin, voluntarily withhold yourself from communion. That's the responsible thing to do, right? Until there is repentance for whatever the sin is you're living in. And if you are not in Christ, if you have experienced false conversion, then my only invitation can be repent, believe the gospel, and ask about regenerate covenantal church membership here at the church at Sunsites for the purpose of sanctification. That's the only invitation I can give in response to this text. Remembering the gospel and the fact that the gospel is effective. Christ does the work. And, and the good news, last thing, good news, when Christ frees us from sin, we are free indeed. Amen. When we, when we are faithful to ask His forgiveness, He is, he is faithful and just to forgive because of Christ's substitutionary atonement on, on Calvary. Thank you.